But today is the gift of love. And, uh, you know, I, you, you ever, you ever kind of get sick of Valentine's Day? I like the candy, amen? But, you know, sometimes we, we, get, uh, we are consumed with this idea of love in the world, and you hear it everywhere. We see it if you turn on the television, you see it if you read a, uh, or you read about it in books, or you listen to it on the radio, or, you know, you just see it played out before you all the time. And, you know, the truth is we're often confused about what love is, and maybe that's why we get so tired of it this time of year. One person said this. They said, what is love? It is silence when your words would hurt. It is patience when your neighbor's curt. It is deafness when a scandal flows. It's thoughtfulness for others' woes. It is promptness when stern duty calls. It's courage when misfortune falls. You know, as I thought about that, this seems like ideas from long ago, doesn't it? Not often do we hear of love sacrificial uh, just giving in that nature. But maybe we would rewrite it in 2020 like this if somebody were to ask us what is love. It is convenience as long as I get my way. It is permanent as long as circumstances don't sway. It is impatient, demanding now what patience will provide. It is skeptical, listening for any reason to hide. It is demanding, caring only for my needs and wishes. It is weak, ready to flee when I have to do the dishes. (laughs) You know, despite your definition of love, I I think that uh, the reality is that often we're confused about what love is in our society and you know, through the years, I think that uh, when someone says, I love you, you know, or I love you, it's, it just, maybe the value has been cheapened over the years. But I think, I want to call us back to the Word of God because it's just not, we want to say it louder or longer or more often, but we want to be able to see our, uh, when we call and say, I love you, see it backed up with actions and demonstrate that. Thomas A. Kempis, who was a German-Dutch author during the medieval period, said this, Whoever loves much, does much. You know how vital it is for us to realize that. You know, sometimes we think that Hallmark understands what love is. Any of you get hooked on those Hallmark movies? All right, a few of you are willing to to, to say, yeah, I like those, but the very few of you, you're like, "Uh, maybe. You're a closet Hallmark lover, right? You know, Hallmark doesn't understand love necessarily, but they know how to market a good feeling, don't they? You know, and and I think today we need to look past the good feeling and see what God's Word says. And so I want you to look with me in 1 John chapter number 4 in verses number 7 through 21. And uh, as we read this together, I just want you to listen to how God talks about love here and how how He commands us to it, but also uh, how He demonstrates it as well. In verse number 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He giveth us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he is God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth, is, uh, dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He, hath feared, uh, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let us bow in prayer today. Father, we just come to you today, and I ask you to give us fresh eyes. Uh, Lord, that we might see anew and be reminded through tender hearts of the powerful love that you have for us. Lord, I'm just thankful that today, as a church, we can come to this place and be reminded of the gift of love that you shower upon us. And as we look at the, the, just some of the terms and, Lord, some of the things that you share with us through your word, I'm just amazed, Lord, by the power of love that, that you have poured out upon us today. And so, Lord, draw us close to you this morning and let us hear from heaven. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here together, there's three things that I want to just point out, pull out from the text today. And because I believe it's important as a church that we, we see that, that God has a desire for us as a church, as individuals, to be able to be reminded of the gift of love. And do you remember the moments in your relationship with your spouse, if you're married, that you first understood or maybe... You realized, I love this person? Do you remember that moment? Maybe for you it was a slow realization because you're like me and you come to things slowly. You know, and it took me a little bit of time to realize, oh, I really, I really do love this lady and, and she really is the one that I think God wants for me. You know, and maybe no matter how it worked in your life, but when that moment hits you, you wanted to share it with that person that you realized you loved, right? And I remember Kristen and I on our on that moment that I just, I bought her the biggest teddy bear I could find. I was probably, I don't know what happened to it. In my mind's eye today, it's about this big. It was probably more like this, knowing, knowing me. But, uh, but I just remember just wanting to just to show her an expression of my love. I took her to, to eat and, you know, really played it up big. And we just really made it really, uh, really something special. And then in that moment of just really being close together, I confessed my love to her. I'm not going to tell you what she said in return, but that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just I'm thankful for those moments where we're reminded of the value of love in our life. But, you know, your relationship is transformed by the affection that you have for that other person. And really, we think about God's affection toward us, and it's astounding that He would ever choose to love us. And, and as we look at 1 John chapter 4, we see that there was a, a definite moment where He chose to love you and me. This is His defining moment of love. And so he just shows us an example very quickly this morning. And in verse number 7 and 8, I just want to kind of give you a brief overview of 1 John because 1 John is a tremendous book. If you've never been exposed to the Word of God before, let me encourage you, start with 1 John. Uh, sometimes we see the Bible and we say, man, that's big, where do you start? This is a good place to start. So if you're a brand new Christian, 1 John is a great place to jump into the Word and to be able to grow and understand what, God, what God's Word says and what God has for you. 
because it shows God's care for us. It, it talks about uh, that, that Jesus Christ was offered for us. It's, he is the one who pleads for us. It warns us against the Antichrist, and he talks about the truth that God is love, and he gives us the assurance of eternal life. And so 1 John is a great place for us to start. But in chapter 4, we see John begins to warn those that would be led astray and that would try to lead us astray. And those first few verses there in verses 1 through 6, we see that, that, that John really begins to warn the church and say, listen, there are some that want to deceive you in this world, and so try the spirits, be careful, and, and be, be forewarned. But as we approach verses 7 through 8, he begins to, to, to switch gears, and he begins to say, this is how you know that people are truly of God. This is how you truly know that people uh, have the Spirit of God in them. And he talks about this love. And in verse number 7, he says, beloved, he says, let us love one another. Anybody can't read that verse without singing the song? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. All right, I got off key, but that's okay. But that's the, that's the scripture. And so we think about 1 John 4, 7 and 8, we see that God says that we're to love one another. And he says, this is a defining, uh, defining thing for us as Christians today, is to love one another. What a joyful time we had yesterday with our widows and widowers. Uh, what a great time to be able to love on these, these folks in our church and just to be able to show them our love and our care for them. Listen, it didn't stop there. We've got to continue to love one another. You know, the, the instruction in verses number 7 and 8 is to love one another. And this, this word love is the well-known Greek word agapeo, which is from the root of agape. We understand that this is the highest and purest form of love. It is different than a brotherly love, a phileo, if you will. It is different from a lustful love because it is an unconditional. It's not contingent upon anything that you do for me. I give it to you willingly. I give it to you because I want to. And through the inspiration of the Spirit, John states that this unconditional love comes from God. Literally, he states that God offers us a love feast from Him. And so we see that he makes this startling assessment in verse number 8. He that loveth not God, uh, excuse me, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. That's what he tells us. Big, bold letters. If, if, if you could bolden that, bolden that, I think it's a beautiful reminder that, listen, love is, a, is indicative of those that truly love uh, and that are truly have the Spirit of God in them. So the truth is, as a believer, God indwells you. As a believer today, the Spirit of God indwells you, and as the Holy Spirit, He leads us, He guides us, He draws us closer and, and walk with Him, and as a result His indwelling prayer, of His indwelling presence, we find that His love pours out from us into others. And so while we could take time and really look at verses 7 and 8 in a lot of depth, for me, I just want to see that God's called us as a church to be able to say, listen, this is what we are supposed to do is to love one another. We're supposed to love God, love others. Amen. And, but as we go from that, we also see in that verse number 9 begins to describe for us that kind of love because it's important if God's called us to love that we know what that love looks like. And so verse number 9 and 10 really begins to lay out what love is because how can we love unconditionally? What does unconditional love look like? You know, in a, in a society that's confused about love, it's important that as a church we go back and find out what the Bible says. You know, I, I love what, uh, what, what the Word of God teaches regarding this because love's defining moment is, is God's example here. In verse number 9, he says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. 
Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. The truth is, is that in verses number 9 and 10, God reminds us that the type of love that we are to demonstrate to others has already been demonstrated clearly to us. Christ died for us. Man, how great can that be? And really, we're going to spend some time dissecting that a little bit this morning. And I want to remind you of this powerful truth in John 3.16. You may know this. You may be familiar with this. Maybe as a child you memorized this like I did. But let me just, let's just remind ourselves of this wonderful truth. For God so loved the world. Would you read that with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful blessing. This was a free, unmerited gift from God. Men had or has, we've never had any claim to warrant God's love. We've never had any deserve, anything deserving of us that would make God have, have a, a, a requirement to give you His love. But instead it see, we see that it pleased God to give us His Son. He, it, he desired to love us even when we were unlovely. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4 teaches us this, who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ here in the context, he says, who gave himself for us, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You see, he gave himself. God's expression of eternal compassion was demonstrated on the cross. The reality was that it even began before creation. You see, it was even when God knelt over that form of a man that he knelt in the dust and he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And before he ever breathed life into man, he knew that his only begotten son would have to die for this creation he was molding. He knew that when he breathed life into this man that it would cost him also the death of his son. What a powerful thought to think that, that even before we sinned against God, even before he breathed life into man, that God still loved us. That's the God that we're talking about. That's the kind of love that we're, we're discussing this morning. Because oftentimes I get the privilege of, of having marriage counseling with couples. Man, marriage counseling is fun. Premarital counseling is fun. Postmarital counseling is not always that case. But premarriage counseling can be fun. And I talk to them and I, and I get to share some things with them and I just say, listen, whatever you think it's going to be, it's probably not. It's going to be better in some ways, and in some ways it's going to be more challenging. But regardless, when God's in the center of it, it's going to be worth it. And, you know, we think about this, and we think about uh, our spouses, and, you know, I, I'm thankful for Valentine's Day because it makes me stop and think about my wife. Any other men like that here? All right, I got some, one other person who's willing to confess his sins here today. But we think about Valentine's Day, and it's a great time. But this is, this is what I'm reminded is that more than even that kind of love, God demonstrated a purer love for us. You see, because even in that moment of creation, He knew that His love for this, this dust would cost Him His Son. The highest expression of love we can ever conceive was when Jesus died on the cross. What kind of a parent would give up their only child to die for someone who was guilty. God did. What kind of parent would be willing to say, listen, I'll give my son who you spit upon, I'll give my son who you plucked out his beard, I'll give my son who you rejected, and, and so that you might have eternal life. That's what God did. 
What kind of father would do that for with his only son? That's what our father did. I mean, let's talk about that exemplary sacrifice. In verse number 10, he goes, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us to be the propitiation for our sins. If we're to truly understand this great love, we must understand our position first because uh, we recognize that we deserved nothing. We didn't deserve it. Christ stated to his disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And oftentimes we look at this verse and we think, Man, we must be his friends if Christ died for us. We were not worthy even of that. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10 tells us exactly what we were. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, the truth of the reality is, is that before Jesus died for us, before I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was His enemy. He was not, a, he was not angry with me, but definitely I, I was an enemy to God. But thanks be to God. Thank, you the, thank the Lord for this unspeakable gift. Thank the Lord that we can praise Him because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we are bought by the blood of the Lamb. And if, I had, if we had simply loved and obeyed Him you know, in the garden, maybe things would be different, but we didn't. We rebelled against the Lord. And now all of us have that sin nature. We've, we're re- rebellious. We cannot come to God on our own. You know, what, I'm, what amazes me is that God loves us this much. Romans chapter 5 and verse 7 reminds us of this truth. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God, hey, listen, he's, there's a contrast here. And he says, listen, even, many people would die for a good man. Some people would die for a righteous man. But God commended his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were made holy, before we were righteous, before we had anything lovely in us, God sent his son to die for you. You know, it wasn't that God approved of our character. It is not that He approved of of our sin, but He loved us anyway. He loved us not with the love of complacency, because it would have done nothing, but He loved us with the love of benevolence. We see this truth in the fact that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. Let me stop just real quick, because many of us can't even say that word, let alone understand what it means. And propitiation in verse number 10 says, who sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this was a word that was used often in, in Greek culture. And it was used to, to, with the significance to make the gods merciful and to appease the wrath that they felt constantly uh, from their God to them. And I'm thankful that, uh, that God has used this here because it allows the, uh, those in that time to understand. But even today, the word uh, propitiation means to appease the wrath and earn the favor of the appended person. Uh, and so literally, in the Bible, it's used uh, that, to, uh, that we might be able to come to the Lord. I like what W.E. Vine says. He says, it is God who is, the, who is propitiated by the vindication of His holy and righteous character, whereby, through the provision He has made in the vicarious and expiatory sacrifice of Christ, He has also so dealt with sin, so that He can show mercy to the believing sinner in the removal of His guilts and the remission of sins. You said, God knew that we couldn't pacify the wrath. God knew that I couldn't remove my sin. God knew that I couldn't come to, my, to Him on my own. And so God sent Christ to be the payment for our sins. He was the propitiation. He was the, it was the atoning work of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It literally, it removes the wrath of God 
and makes Him merciful and gracious towards us. That's what Jesus has done for you. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, it says, For whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Christ is the propitiation. He is the one that is the only one that could pacify the offense that we had, uh, had made toward God. He is the only one that could appease the anger. He is the only one that could grant mercy and offer grace. It is only Christ that could be the propitiation. We couldn't. I couldn't for you. You couldn't for me. Only Jesus because He was God and He was man. And so Romans 3.25 reminds us that it is by faith that we are able to receive this. This is a tremendous sacrifice on Christ's part. It was made to the offer appeasement of God, but listen, it must be accepted by faith today. So this is the call that has. So we see that there is a definite call that God offers for you today. In verses 11 through 16, we said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In verse number 15, it says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Listen, there is a call today for us to confess our sins first and foremost. If Christ is a propitiation, then the reality is that we stand in desperate need of the Savior's work in our life. There may be some today that state, you don't understand, I've been baptized. You don't understand, I had a blessing over me when I was an infant. You don't understand, I have been a a good person all of my life. You don't understand, I've done a lot for other people and and good in my community. And I've, I've served those around me. How could God reject such a good person as me? And I stand before you humbly reminding you of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Who stood before a proud Israel. Israel who trusted in their merits. And he said this, Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You see, like Isaiah concluded himself, the psalmist also says the same thing in Psalms 14 and verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The reality is... Is that, the, that t- together today, without Jesus Christ, we stand condemned. We are condemned in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. If you were to compare yourself to me, you might be better. But when you compare yourself to God, you fall far short. And Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what God reminds us of. This is why we need Christ This is why we need Christ who is the propitiation. This is why we need to see the wrath of God appeased by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is only Christ that has that ability. It is only Christ that can make the payment. It is only He that can turn uh, the wrath, take away the wrath and give us mercy and grace. And the reality is that when we come to God today, we must come to Him empty-handed because truly I have nothing to offer Him. We must enter into his throne room with his heads bowed and our hat in our hand, willing to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Confess your sins. Call on Christ today. I dare say that today there is hope for all of mankind. Because when Jesus died, he didn't die for just a few. He didn't die for just the elect. He died for all mankind. You see, that's the the incredible thing is the redeeming love of Christ is made available to you today. I don't care about your past. This is the promise that He has for you. That when you come to Jesus Christ, you can have a wonderful future. 
It doesn't mean that things on this earth are going to be perfect. What it means is that things in heaven will be. Amen? And that will make it worth it all. Love's defining moment demands an answer today. See, with Christ's sacrifice on the cross, a clarion call continues to cry out through the centuries for all humanity to answer. Will you accept Christ as your Savior? Will you call upon Him? Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? As, as we have seen, there is no doubt that God loves you. You see, for God so loved the world. You could take a moment and you could take world and you could put your, your name in there. For God so loved John. For God so loved Tracy. Or God so loved whatever your name may be. I could go, there's a lot of Tracys, or a lot of, there's a couple of Tracys, but there's a lot of other names in here. But you could put your name in there and the truth is still, God loves you. And so God offers for you today that beautiful uh, love that only He can provide. And so Romans 10, 13 reminds us of this truth. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you come to Him today? You see, because when Christ died on the cross, He completed for us the work that was needed to provide salvation for you and for me. He cried out, it is finished. He didn't say to be continued. Right? He completed that work. And when we come to, Christ through, come to God through Christ, it is not based on my ability because Christ has completed, completed it. It's not based upon my works or my merit because they're, not, they're worthless in His sight. It is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus. And so to this morning, I invite you to call upon Him as your Savior. Confess that you're a sinner and, and express that your faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Lord, and ask Him to be the Savior of your life. But there's one last thing I want to share with you this morning. Because there is, there is something about love. Because there is a, a, a call, but there's also a demanding presence here today. In verses number 17 through 21, we see that, that we can't just stop there. We can't just say, well, and, and that's it. Because once you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, it, it demands for us to continue to, to, uh, for it to have a presence in our life. And so John lays out for us the reality that if we've accepted Christ, that we also uh, must show this love to others. It demands action because love is an action. John chapter 4, verse number 11 says this, But beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then verse number 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in His word, world. There is no fear in love. And, and, the, and we're just so thankful that the very last it says, And this is the commandment that we have from Him, that He who loved God love also His brother. Love is an action. Even in, in this previous section, in all of these, these, these uh, scriptures, we see that God calls us to love. Now, there will be times where love, the feeling of love is not there. You ever had those moments towards someone? There's going to be moments where, you, man, I don't, I don't feel like loving them today. And maybe you feel that towards your spouse or you have in the past, and, and that happens, right? Because we're sinners. Thanks, me and Brother Ty are. Rest of you are perfect. I'll take lessons later. But the truth is, is that when we just choose, I'm going I'm to demonstrate love, our heart will fall off. Many times, many marriages suffer because we get suffocated by the cares of this world. The initial feeling of love wears thin and we're left with nothing. And we just, the marriage feels empty. But listen, the feeling of love can be revived when, we, when our heart is led into action. During the 17th century, 
Oliver Cromwell, uh, the Lord Protector of England, sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. And so that night, the soldiers lined up, um, this prisoner and this, the soldiers lined up and were waiting, anticipating that curfew bell to sound, and as soon as the bell would sound, they would, they would fire into this, into this prisoner. But that night, the bell didn't sound. Something went wrong. They inspected later and they found that the soldier's fiance had climbed up into the belfry and had clung to the clapper of the bell to prevent it from stri- striking. She had desperately clung to that, saying there, there was nothing that was going to let that bell ring that night. She, they brought her to uh, Oliver Cromwell and, and they, they made her give an account for her actions. And as she wept, she showed him her bruised and her bleeding hands and And Lord Cromwell's heart was just broken and was touched. And he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Sometimes love has to be renewed by action. Sometimes we've got to be be willing to say, you know, my heart doesn't want to follow, but I'm going to make make it, I'm going to lead it. And and matter of fact, the the Bible instructs that in uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, to to keep or guard your heart, to lead your heart into a a certain way. And so this this lady loved this this young man to the point of sacrifice. George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office, and I've heard this and maybe shared it before, but I just love this, this illustration. And she was so full of hatred, and, and she was so full of just a vehement desire to get back at her husband. Maybe you've been there, I, I, I don't know. But she said this, I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. And so Dr. Crane suggested just a wonderful plan. He said, go home, act as if you really love your husband. He said, pray for him. Tell him uh, everything that he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him and, and to enjoy him. Make him believe that, he, uh, that you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Then tell him that you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, What a beautiful, beautiful, well, he will, he, he will be so surprised. And so she left with enthusiasm, dug in, and acting as if for two months that she really loved and, uh, and cared for her husband. She listened to him, she gave him, and she reinforced him, she shared with him, she showed kindness. And when she didn't return, Dr. Crane called her and said, Are you ready to go through with the divorce now? She said, divorce? Never. I discovered I really do love him. (laughs) You know, motions result oftentimes in emotion. God calls on us husbands to love like Christ loved. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave him for it. Listen, the same love that we described earlier, talking about Jesus' love and God's love for us, demands, demands that we love our wives even when we feel like the enemy. If I were to be honest, I would say that one of the hardest things we have to do is to love when we feel unloved. To love and to be vulnerable. To love and to be open. But this is what Christ has done for us. And so God instructs us to love without fear. If we look at Christ's example, we find that He loved us despite the cost. And I'm going to bring back Romans 5.10. I want you to look at it with me. He says, for if when we were enemies... 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We were enemies. Although we had rejected Him, although in rebellion we had raced away from Him, when we were rec- we, uh, God allowed us to be reconciled through Christ, and not just uh, a meeting, but by His death. This week, God reminded me that although He was hurt, although we hurt Him, although I hurt Him, although my sin nailed Him on that cross, the hurt didn't conquer His love for us. Think about this for a minute. Instead, He allowed His love to conquer the hurt. Too often times we get a hold of the hurt and we say, God, I can't possibly love this person. I'm hurt too deeply. And what you're really saying is, my love is not strong enough to conquer that hurt. My love has limitations. That's not loving like Christ loved. That's not loving like God demands for us to love men. God calls us to love in this capacity to our life. To love as Christ loved the church. To give ourselves completely. That even in the hurt, we treat them as our best friend. That even in the hurt, we treat them as our, our, our greatest joy. Husbands are often hurt when they're rejected by their wife. Instead of responding in love, their hurt overcomes their ability to love and and they seek solace sometimes in a bottle, on the internet, or in another person. God forbid. A wife can be hurt by the hateful words from a husband. Instead of responding with a spirit of love, she lashes out in anger, driving a wedge deeper. See, this is a cycle that could be continued through the ages. But God broke that cycle. You see, God in His incredible mercy sent Jentsch- Christ to died for us. And on that, when He died on the cross, He broke the cycle eternally because He became the propitiation for our sins today. And He became the propitiation for you and for me. And He cut short Satan's efforts to try to destroy the unity that God desired with you and God designed for you and me with Himself. To love, C.S. Lewis said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all, the, all of the dangers of love is hell. Today we enjoy love without fear because of what God has done for us. He says there is no fear in love. And specifically, he's dealing with the, the fact that one day we will give an account for our lives and one day we will stand before the Lord. And he talks about in verse 17, the day of judgment. But listen, when, when you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know that the love of God is there. You know the love of God is real. And there is no fear in God's love today. But listen, hurt is not relegated just to the home. And hurt's not relegated just to, to husbands and wives. Hurts can happen in churches. Hurt happens between Christians. And in the context of 1 John, he is dealing with the realities that because of what God has done for us, if we are truly His, then we will demonstrate to the world this kind of love. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love also one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Therefore, if we're saved today, 
there's no fear in love. We can put our faith confidently in Jesus Christ and know that He is there with us. We can put our faith confidently in the fact that He calls us, demands for us, and requires of us to love one another and, and, and just trust Him that when we obey Him and say, listen, I'm going to get that hurt right with this brother. I'm going to get my, that hurt right with my wife or my, my husband. I'm going to make sure that in my life things are what God wants them from, from them to be, then God will bless it. George Romney was a, rose to fame in England as a portrait artist. But his success came at a high price. He was One of his mentors declared that marriage spoiled an artist. So, so Romney abandoned his wife and his two young children. And after years of success, Romney fell out of favor, lost most of his possessions, and began losing his reason. His long-abandoned wife took pity on him. She cared for him in his final years, and after Romney's death, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem called Romney's Regret. In it, he imagines a conversation with a painter in which a friend says, Take comfort, you have won the painter's frame. fame. In response to this phrase, Romney answers, The best in me that sees the worst in me and groans to see it finds no comfort there. You see... God didn't design us to be recluses. God designed us to love. God designed us to love others, even in the church and, and, and within our families. God's designed us to love. And you know when, when that love is broken and when there's a, a, a rift in the relationship, that that husband and wife, that there is, there is a, a, an agony of the Spirit. And, and, and you know that, that things aren't right. And this is not what you intended when you said, I do, with that marriage mo- and that moment of marriage. And, and, and that's why God describes for us in, Romans, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13 what love is. But here, he demonstrates on the cross what love is. And so 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And so God is calling us to love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for uh, for God is love. So let me ask you today, do you love others like this? Is your marriage struggling today? Let me tell you, husbands and wives, the greatest place that you can come for a, when, you're, when your marriage is, is struggling is right here to the altar and say, Lord, help us. Lord, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for not loving. Let me ask you today, do you feel hopeless at times? I, put, I urge you to put your pride aside. I urge you this morning to allow the power of God's love to transform your life, mind and your heart today.